Matthew chapter 20, flowers, you ready? Let's go. It says this. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons. Look at your neighbor. I'm going to get you in trouble. Hope you picked the right neighbor. Tell him your mama. Listen, the man of God gave you an instruction. Some of y'all sit next to your wife. You've been wanting to say this for a while. <laughs> Put your hand down. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to him, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Somebody say baptized four times without biting your tongue. <laughs> baptized, 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 baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten other disciples heard it, they were great. They, you know, they were upset. They were displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great, somebody say they're great. Those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great, somebody say, I desire. Even if you're lying to me, somebody say, I desire to become great. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Father God, our prayer today, our desire, we, we can say all that we want, God, is to live in your presence, in your peace, to be undone by who you are. God, in rooms across this state, in Charlotte, across this nation, God, there's people that are gathered for one purpose, not to check a box off on their religious checklist, not to be seen or to see. God, we're here for you. God, one word from you, one touch from you will forever shift the trajectory of our lives. Have your way. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say amen. And amen. Here we go. Let's do this. Normally, when I start a message or a series, I'll give you some analogy about building a building or some random walk I took by a pond or whatever it may be to kind of set up and illustrate the point. But there's some times where that's not needed because the scriptures themselves are downright comedy. There are some awkward moments in the Bible that you read it 
And you're like, I didn't just read what I read, and I don't really want to engage that, so I'm going to act like it didn't happen. But that was awkward. Like when Jesus looked Peter in the eye and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Who knew Jesus calls people out their name? That's awkward. Or when Jesus braided the whip and turned up at the church as if it was an MMA cage fight. Awkward. How about the time when the woman came to Jesus and said, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus basically called her a dog. (laughs) Awkward. There's just some moments in scripture where it's like, this is weird. I'm not quite sure what's going on right here, but, but this is not the Jesus they introduced me to in Sunday school. This ain't the felt Jesus that falls off the board. This is, this is gangster Jesus. I don't know if this passage is top two or three, but this is definitely top five most awkward moments in Scripture. Jesus gathers his disciples around, and evidently it wasn't just the 12, but it was family members and maybe even the 120 that we found in the upper room. And Jesus gave his own eulogy. He sat in this moment with his disciples, and he said, this is the moment that I came to earth for. This is the moment that that my father sent me here. Y'all, I'm getting ready to die. But it's not going to be a normal death. It's not going to be a death of sickness or a death of age. I'm going to take the death of a criminal. They're going to beat me within an inch of my life. They're going to hang me on a cross the way that they did the worst terrorists or criminals. They're going to strip me naked and leave me there to be exposed and ashamed to humanity. Then they're going to take me off of the cross and they're going to lay me in a tomb and I'm going to be there for three days. And after that, I will be resurrected. I would have purchased the freedom, the salvation of all of humanity for all of eternity. Disciples, this is getting ready to happen. It was so tense in that moment, you could hear a pin drop. I can only imagine tears streaming down people's faces. Peter didn't speak up because he already got called Satan for trying to stop Jesus before. But in his heart, he's just like, there got to be a different way. Not, not, not Jesus, not the greatest, not the king of kings and the Lord. He can't go through. It was so tense, you could cut it with a knife. In the middle of that moment, you hear this woman of God. Um, excuse me. Excuse me. Great speech, Jesus. Great speech. Great speech. Just, this is, I can feel it. Everybody's all uncomfortable and awkward. This is, man, good luck with that cross thing. <laughs> Sounds kind of painful. Hope it works out for you. But it looks like you're getting ready to wrap this meeting up. And, and I just had one question before everybody goes home. I, I hope I'm not out of line. I, you know, I put my church finger up before I walked up here. And I, um, I was wondering that after you, you know, do your cross thing or whatever it is and you die, you, you said you're coming back, right? Cool. You're coming back. Somebody can. I was wondering if my boys, come here, come here, boys, come here, come here, come here, don't be shy. You know my boys, James, John, Zebedee's boys, they, they've been following you for the last three years. They done good, haven't they? They did, they did really well. They did really well. I, I was just 
could they sit on the right and the left of your kingdom? You know, after you die and after you do whatever you got to do on the cross, could, could they be important in your kingdom? Can y'all picture this? Jesus' funeral and James and John's mama ignores the whole speech. It says, whatever you're doing to that little death thing that you do, I want my boys to be important. Now, I read the Bible like I watch movies. And I try to, you know, guess what's coming next. And if you're great at watching movies, you can tell by the way the music turns. You can also tell by the fact that that person walking into the woods is not the lead actor. So there's no reason for them to make it to the end of the movie. That's when Zia will sneak up next to me and grab my arm. And I'm just like, it's all right, baby. I got you. Because it's about to go down. This is where the chainsaw comes out. This is where Jesus goes off. I'm talking about dying for the world. And you're trying to leverage. Listen. I told you would be a little insulting. If your plan for greatness is having your mama make the introduction, can I just save you the trouble? Greatness is not in your future. This is, it's just, no, no, you don't, you don't have what it takes. You don't, if you need your mother to, could you imagine walking into a job interview with your mom? <laughs> Y'all want to hear a true story? You've heard me say before that when I became the senior pastor of the church, I was 23 years old. I was single, and they had this like church planners gathering, and it was like, bring you and your spouse, and I didn't have a spouse, so I took my mama. <laughs> and for like the first three years of the church, they couldn't remember my name. That's the kid who planted the church with his mother. I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> Just brought her to one meeting. But here's what blows my mind. I'm waiting for Jesus to call, you know, James and John snakes and serpents and whitewashed supplicants and all these other biblical curse words he'd be tearing people to shreds with. And he never got mad over their desire for importance. Jesus was never insulted by their ambition. Jesus was not put off by the fact that they wanted to be number one and... Number two, actually, he said, you have no idea what you're asking for. Oh, yeah, yeah, you'll be great. You have no idea the amount of pain that you're going to have to go through to get to where you want to go. He said they don't know what they're asking for, but he was never offended by what they're asking. Write this down, write this down, write this down. Average, average is an insult to God. Average is an insult to God. There is an awkward tension, Columbia, that we as Christians live with. And it's this tension of, I want more out of life. I, I, I want more influence. I, I want more money. Can I say that? I, 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 I want more relationships. I, I want my marriage to be better. I want my kids to be better. I, I, I want greater faith. I, I, and and, and the tension is, I want more, but I've been trained that I should not want more. Come on now. 
Because, because think about it. Who are the people who want more? The world, people who don't know God. They, they want more money and more influence and more status and, and more popularity. And, and, and we're taught in church, do not be like the world. And if the world wants more, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't want more. The other part of the conflict is that, that we're taught in church that all we have comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And, and, and if I'm not happy with what I have and I want more, secretly that means I'm blaming God. That he didn't give me enough. And, and actually, it, it may be me saying that I'm not grateful for what he has given me. So we'll never say it out loud because we're in church. And in church, you got to be a perfect Christian. <laughs> But internally, there's this rustle of, I love God, but I want more out of life. But I feel guilty that I want more out of life because God gave me everything that I have. And I feel by wanting more, I'm saying I'm not grateful for what he gave me. My, my dad has been a pastor longer uh, than I have ever been alive, uh, which is uh, annoying. Because... Everybody knows him before they know me. My dad was in a, a denomination here in the area, and he would go to the, the conferences, and they'd have their regional pastors' gatherings and all that other good stuff. And, and he would bring me, and I'd be miserable the entire time because they would gather on a Saturday. Who makes a meeting on a Saturday? So he know God wasn't there. The meeting would be like four hours long. The only way my dad would get me to come, and this is I'm like 9, 10, 11. He said, hey, if you come, we'll stop for snowballs afterward. Listen, if you want to get Stephen to do anything, just bribe me with sugar. I will, cotton candy, where do I sign? Let's go. He's like, come, we'll stop for a treat afterwards or whatever it may be. And I don't think my dad liked them either because he would show up an hour and a half late. He's like, I know it's four hours. I don't want to be here. So he'd come in. We'd sit in the back. And, 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 and some of you guys, you're, you're, you're famous as showing up at places late. You, you know how to do it. You, when, when the event is over, you can't just leave because people would have missed you. So you've got to be really loud. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you there. What's up, Doc? How's it going? So my dad had to do the I'm here before we left. So I'm in the back of the room and he's shaking hands and letting people know I was late, but I was still here. See y'all next time to talk about nothing. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. And I just sit in the back of the room. He promised me my snowball. I better get my snowball. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to get my snowball. And somebody would walk up to me. You're Ron's son. Y'all got to understand. I got a lot of Jesus right now. I didn't have a lot of Jesus back then. And I didn't really like people back then. <laughs> you don't know me. And before I could even, no, 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 you're wrong. You, you have the same nose as him. Or they would say, you stand just like him. Or they'd laugh. Ron, he folds his arms just like that. They wouldn't wait for my response. Here's what they were saying. I see your father's attributes in you. I know where you come from looking at you because you look like him and you stand like him and you're a little ignorant like him too and, and you slouch like him. You, you look just like your dad. 
Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Bible, somebody shout, I look like my dad. Come on, say it in faith. Somebody say, I look like my dad. The Bible says that you were created, oh folks, you say, a spitting image of your father. You are a child of the most high God. You are his son. You are his daughter. Some of you don't understand that. And that's why you're so confused when the enemy is constantly attacking you and trying to block what God is doing in your life. And and you see setback in your life. You're like, I haven't caused any trouble with anybody. What's all the drama about? Here's what the drama's about, boo-boo. Every time Satan looks at you, he sees the reflection of God on your life. He sees greatness on you. He sees purpose on you. He sees anointing on you. He sees, do you know Satan sees more in you than you see in yourself? And because he sees the image of God on your life, that's why he's opposed. The Bible says in Psalm chapter eight, verse one says this, Oh Lord, our Lord, how you King James memorizing people. You can always tell who grew up on the King James version and who was in church in the nineties. Oh, Lord, our oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the... No, we ain't singing that. Calm down. Leave it in the 90s. And Elvis says this, Oh, Lord, our oh Lord, how great is your name in all the earth. You have set your shining greatness above the heavens. How many people would agree that God is great? Whether you believe it or not, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says you were made in the image of God, which means you are the spitting image of greatness. What does that mean? It means there's not a strand of mediocrity in your DNA. That average has nothing to do with your bloodline. That there is nothing about you that is invisible. So watch this. When we settle for mediocrity, When we accept average in our life, when we say this is good enough, it is an insult to a great God because he said, I am great and I put greatness inside of you. God's not offended when you want to be number one. That makes you uncomfortable. God's not offended when you want more than you have. Because no, 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 that's you living out the me that I placed inside of you. What's what's greatness? What's greatness? Uh, My my, my mom is, she she passed away in 2013, and and because of that, I can tell stories about her that she can't beat me about today. So um, my mom was an amazing lady, classy, classy woman, beautiful, excellent, master's degree, RN. I mean, she, she was just, I mean, she, she was all that in a bag of chips. Why do I tell you all this? Because I'm about to tell you how hood she was. She, um, <laughs> she was just classy unless there was chicken on the table. And then she turned into a different woman. Some, some of you have people like that in your family. You, you know them because you hear this phrase. You finished eating that chicken? Got you all insecure. Uh, I was. 
And then she would say something like this, there's still meat on that boat. I thought I got it all. And she'd just get frustrated. Hand that here. A chicken leg, piece of thigh, or whatever it may be. She, she'd take that chicken bone, and I mean, just, all the meat's gone. And I'm thinking, all the meat's gone. She's done. No. There's still cartilage. She'd rip the top off. Now all I've got is a bone. And you would think she's done. No, no, no. Then you hear the sound. That should only be heard on Animal Planet when the lion gets the zebra. Crap. Next thing you know, she's sucking the bone marrow out of them. She's like, this is where the nutrients are. And then after there's shards on the table, now I'm done. That's greatness. Greatness is, I am going to suck life for everything it has to offer. I'm not leaving any meat on the bones. I'm not leaving the cartilage. I'm not even leaving the bone. I want everything this life has to offer. Can I told you I'd be a little insulting. Can we have fun? And most people don't live like that. Most people live, this is good, and good is good enough. Pastor, we've got a good marriage. Yeah, you do. Y'all don't yell and scream often. You're respectful. You, you have a shared vision. You have a shared bank account. Y'all are doing great. You're good. It's just not great. Do you know the dreams you haven't dreamed? Do you know the experiences yet to be had? Do you know the next step, the vision that God has for you? Do, do you know what he can do through you? Stop settling for good because there's great. Some of y'all, you, 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 you don't even think about your money because it's good. Pastor, I'm, I'm good. I can pay my bills. I'm saving for retirement. I even have a little extra. I can take a vacation once a year and enjoy the, the simple pleasures of life. I'm living good. You are, but you ain't even scratched great yet. What's great? Great is, I don't have to wait on the government to forgive loans. I am loan forgiveness. I'm going around to my nieces and my nephews and saying, hey, I'll take care of that for you. I'll make sure you don't have to worry. And somehow we've been inoculated in church to believe that it's selfish or prideful or an offense to God to say, I want more than I have. How many, how many cooks? Any cooks that like you cook? We cook this. You see, every, no, no, I don't believe that. No. I didn't say how many people cook. It's a different question. I said, how many cooks? Here's what a cook is, a dash of this and a sprinkle of this. If you don't dash, if you measure and read, you ain't a cook. You, 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 you read recipes and ain't nothing wrong with that. It's better than the microwave, folks, but you ain't cook. How many cooks? The real cooks, they know how many days until Thanksgiving it is today. It's like a prize fighter. Gotta drop some weight. They're out there with their trash bags on and Sam's Club. Whew. Thanksgiving coming. It's game day. The real cooks, 
they marinate, you, mar, marinate in that food. Not talking to the rest of you people, just the cooks. How would you feel if you spent three days preparing for your Thanksgiving meal and people come over, they sit at the table, and they say, we're not hungry. You felt that. Or what if they say something worse? Oh, I'm a vegan. That's the one that's going to get me in trouble. The pastor gets canceled for anything. Listen, God loves vegans. I love vegans. It leaves more meat for me, so no worry. I'm just... Seriously, how offended would you be if you went to the cross, shed your blood so that people could maximize their life and they had the gall to say, no, I'm good. I don't, it's an insult to God to accept average in any area of your life. Second thing is this, write this down, write this down. The problem is that average screams louder than God does. Average screams. My pastor told me this. He said, Stephen, you will either get better or you will get bitter at those who do. Stephen, you will either go after greatness or you will be offended by the people who do. I'm reading this story. I'm expecting Jesus to be offended that they want a higher position. I'm expecting Jesus to rebuke them. Jesus didn't rebuke them at all. But you know who did get offended? The other 10 disciples who didn't have the guts to ask themselves. The Bible says that they turned on the two disciples. They were so upset that Jesus had to intervene and calm them down. And y'all know Peter liked chopping people's ears off. It was about to go down. Because here's what you have to understand. That the second you decide, I am no longer accepting average in my life, I'm pursuing greatness, you will offend every average person around you. And one of the reasons why we've accepted average and we've accepted mediocrity is to keep our circle happy. So I'm not going to go after anything else. I'm not going to dream. I'm not going to talk because, because they're put off when I say I want more because somehow they take it personally. I said before, I became the senior pastor of my dad's church when I was 23 years old. And it was an interesting, interesting moment, interesting season because they installed me. I start leading. And as soon as I became a senior pastor, people just started chirping. <laughs> Who does he think he is? only reason he's a pastor is because he's a pastor's son. That's nepotism. You can't even spell nepotism. <laughs> I wasn't that safe back then. I'm still not. Anyway, <laughs> he, he can't preach like his dad. He's not that anointed. And you know what's amazing? Not one person who was running their mouth was over 30 years old. It wasn't the older saints. It was the people I went to college with. It was the people that called themselves friends. The people that I thought we were doing life together, but in actuality, we were in competition and I didn't even know. And the second it looked like I took one step ahead of where they were, it was instantly, oh, that's because he's proud. You know what the most shady thing you can say to somebody is? 
Stay humble now. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know what? I was going to spiral off into pride tomorrow. That was my plan. But simply by the fact that you said stay humble, that's what I needed to anchor me. I'll be humble. Thank you. The sec. Y'all think I'm joking, except you have a conversation with your parents about something that you want to do with your children. And all of a sudden, well, I didn't do it for you. And you turned out all right. What's the problem? You lived there, went to school there, worked at whatever it may be. And what we don't realize is every time we look to take a step forward in life, we have to pick who's going to be offended because somebody's going to be offended. And so many of us, we've decided not to offend the people around us, not realizing that we're offending the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us because we're suffocating him with average and mediocrity. The Holy Spirit said, I wasn't placed inside of you to empower you to be average. I was placed inside of you to empower you to turn cities upside. I'm not talking about you, just talking about me. I wonder if my Holy Spirit is bored. Because what I'm putting up with in life, he doesn't need to even come out. Average screams louder than God. And here's the thing. The voice of who, you, who do you think you are comes louder internally than it does externally. When I became the senior pastor of the church, nobody doubted my abilities more than I did. Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, when the first king of Israel was being anointed, look what the king said. He said, pardon me, sir, Saul replied. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of the tribe. You must have the wrong man. Now, you don't understand how hilarious scripture is. This is the prophet Samuel. Samuel heard the voice of God before he got into the first grade. God had used Samuel as a mouthpiece for decades. God said, Samuel, go anoint Saul. When Samuel gets to Saul, Saul says, I'm sorry. I know you hear from God, but you missed this one. You might have missed a digit in the address. God couldn't have sent you to me because I come from the most insignificant tribe in all of Israel. And if that wasn't worse enough, I come from the smallest family in the smallest tribe. And I'm the most insignificant person in my family. It's amazing when God says, I have greatness for you, we respond with excuses. Abraham, you're a father of many nations, but I have no heir. Moses, you're a deliverer, but I stutter. Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. No, I come from an insignificant people. Without even realizing it, our response to God is, I can't be great in my marriage. You don't know the abuse I went through. No, 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 no. I, I can't be great in my finances. You don't know how I've mismanaged the, the foreclosure, the bankruptcy. No, I just, I deserve this. Here's why the message of greatness is so difficult for so many people. Because we can't say this out loud, but if we were to be honest with say, Pastor, I fought so hard just to get back to zero. I'm exhausted. And I don't mean to be offensive, but, but Pastor, I'm just proud to get to where I am right now. 
The fact that I can go to sleep without crying my eyes out. The fact that I can put food on the table. The fact that we're not trying to kill each other. Pastor, forgive me. Greatness sounds awesome for somebody else. But based on what I've been through, I think this is pretty great because I never would have seen myself getting this far. And the only reason you would think that is because you have no idea the resume of the people that God desires to use. God used Noah to save the entire world, and Noah was a drunk. God used Abraham to introduce faith into the world, and Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Peter, a racist. Job, suicidal. Timothy was sickly. Paul told you need to drink some wine, boy, because you get sick too much. You need to toughen your stomach up. You think God didn't know about that abortion when he planned a great future for you? you? Oh, I'm sorry. I had a great future for you, but I didn't realize that you would go through a divorce. Oh, excuse me. I, I didn't know you'd battle with your sexuality. I, I, I didn't know that, that depression would be something that you should. Sorry. Before the beginning of time, when I planned a great life for you, I forgot about that. Think about this. God knew your story before it started. And he planned a great future for you, knowing the setbacks and the decisions of self-destruction that you would make. And he still called you. He still anointed you. He still put greatness inside of you. He still said, I'm for you and not against you. Here's my question. Are you going to allow the voice of your self-doubt to keep you from taking hold of all that God has for you? Or are you going to do what the Bible says? Let the voice that speaks a better word. Yeah, you've made some mistakes. But don't you know that in the midst of your mistakes, that that shows how great your God is? That he can use somebody like me, like you, to do above and beyond those around us ever thought possible. Somebody, don't even shout it. Just somebody say, there's greatness in me. Last thing is this, write this down. God cares about the path. God's not offended by your ambition, by your goals. He's not offended by the fact that you're a little. Do you know God takes competitive people and uses them for his good? He's not offended by the fact that you want to be number one. Here's what he said. He said, this, the issue is not great. He said, but be mindful of the path that you take. Here, here, here's, here's the problem. Here's the book. And here's what we're going to unpack over the next six weeks that most people do not know that there is a path to maximizing every area of your life, especially church folks. We think if I sit in my house and fast and pray, that, let's go check my mailbox, million dollars, look at the Lord. <laughs> There's a check for a million dollars in your mailbox that you did not earn, it's called fraud, they're coming for you. The whole, the name of the book is Stop Waiting for Permission. And people reading, like, oh, you're waiting for somebody to discover you. No, you know who we're waiting for permission from? God. Because we don't understand that when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. What he meant was everything that you need to maximize the call of God on your life has been released to you. 
But we don't know. We'll talk about it over the next six weeks, how you'll never fulfill your destiny if you don't know your unique genius. That God put an advantage in. There is something that you can do better than other people. And it's your key to your future. And so many people are muscling their way through life, not realizing God's put something inside of me that, that is, it's some horsepower. It, it gives me an advantage. A lot of people don't realize the difference between a vision and a fantasy. Well, I have a great plan for my life. I'm glad. Is it a fantasy or is it a vision? What's the difference? Well, a fantasy is something that you're hoping for, but don't have any steps to get there. A vision is, this is where I'm going, but step number one is this, and then the next step, and then the next step, and the next step. We'll talk about how there is no progress without pain. And because people do, he said, he said, you will drink the cup that I'm about to drink. A lot of people don't realize that because my greatness is in opposition to the enemy, that I will always experience opposition in following what God has for me. And if you don't know that, the first time you experience pain in your business, you'll give up. Usually happens around April 15th. <laughs> this entrepreneur stuff is for the birds. I'm going. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we unpack this series. Because some of you have accomplished more than people around you. And now you're thinking about hanging it up. Because you realize the goal was never a competition. It was always maximizing what God. There's a path. We'll talk about that. But most people do not know that there is a path to greatness, and it's not just prayer. But even less people know not only is there a path, but there's actually two paths. There's the world's path to greatness, and then there's God's path to greatness. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it says this, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask, watch this, for the old path where the good way is, and walk in it, then you will find, somebody say rest. You will find rest for your souls. And here. Here's one of the most confusing things on earth. David was confused by it. He said, God, I see people that have turned their back on you, but yet they prosper. I see people who don't love God, but yet they're doing great things in their lives. It would be easy if, hey, if you don't tithe, if you're not in church every Sunday, if you don't pray and fast, there's no chance of you ever doing anything significant. But it's confusing when people who don't believe in God, don't honor God, don't serve him, don't put him first, but yet they accomplish great things. If that leads to greatness and that leads to greatness, and let's be honest, God's way is slower and harder. Why would I take that path? Here's what God said. He said, because the world has a way to greatness. It's manipulation and backstabbing and self-promotion and, and doing whatever you got to do and step on whoever you got to step on to get ahead. And you will get ahead. He said, the problem is that that greatness will cost you more than it gives you. Yeah. You have a net worth over a million dollars. And your kids don't know who you are. Yeah, you built a great business with 400 employees. And you did it at the expense of your health. And now you're not going to be around long enough to even enjoy the fruits of it. Oh, no, no. You raised kids that were better than other people's kids. And, and you had an amazing marriage. 
but your finances were stifled and you will always struggle in that area because your life is out of balance. He said, oh, there's another path to a great life, but it will cost you more than it gives you. And it's not that I desire to do it God's way. It's what's the state of my heart. People desire to do it God's way and they still don't do it God's way. Because it's what's driving me. Am I driven by fear? I can't end up like that person. I've got to. Am I driven by pride? I've got to. I've got to. I want to be a baller, a shot caller. I'm... Am I driven by comparison? I'm tired of being last. By any means necessary, I won't be last again. I, I've kind of alluded and danced around, and you could play. We're going to land this plane. But, I've, you know, there's this thing called statue of limitations. And that is you don't tell certain stories too soon because they still lock you up. But um, <laughs> I've said before that I became the senior pastor of the church when I was 23. I've said before uh, that I was single, and a lot of people just thought I didn't have what it takes and all that other good stuff. I, I never really kind of unpacked who Stephen was at that time. Those first few years of pastoring this church, I was not healthy at all. I'd be like, man, I would pastor a church single. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemies. I survived because my dad and my mom were hovering me up. Don't you mess this up. But I, 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 I was actually glad that I was single in those years because I wouldn't want to have to take a wife through who I was. Because the truth is that I wasn't pastoring in those first few years because I wanted to see people saved. I was pastoring because I wanted to prove to those people, you're wrong. I do have what it takes. I'm not just here because my dad put me here. God called me here. But yet I didn't know if I had what it took inside of me. So it started driving me at a level that was unhealthy. And I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm not taking the Sabbath. I'm not really being that nice to people. I'm just like, we gonna get this thing to grow. And the worst thing happened, it grew. It's one thing if you don't do it God's way and you don't get good results. Then it's like, well, this is not working. Might as well do it God's way. It's another thing if you do it and you actually get results. Church went from 150 to 250, from 250 to 350, from 350 to 400, and then it stopped. Not paused, stopped. And one of the problems of going after success from an unhealthy place is you find your identity in your success. So when you're winning, you're on top of the world. Oh, but when you're losing, oh, the world's on top of your head. First six months, I didn't get worried. I was like, you know, this is what happened in churches. You grow, and then you got to kind of restructure, then you grow some more. But six months turned into 12 turn into 18, turn into three years. And I stopped questioning if I was doing it wrong and I start questioning, am I wrong? Did, did God call me to do this? Is, 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 I don't know if I ever taught church. Y'all, I tried with all I had to give the church away. Like I was like, let's, let's, let's hire somebody else to do this. I'm gonna go back to the business. I'm gonna, I'm, I, get. Sometimes we, we all preach and shout about God opening doors for people. Ain't nobody want to shout about how he closes you in on something and says, you can't get out no matter what you do. 
we'll talk over these few weeks about how God showed me later on, here's what you're doing wrong and how did this. But, but here's what I learned in that season, not in the season because I was too prideful, but after the season, I look back and I learn that God will always do something in you before he does something through you. All the time, the gifting was there, the ability was there, the, the intellect was there, the anointing was there, but God said, I can't let you take a step further until I get your heart right. Because if I can't get your heart right, the success will kill you. But if you would allow me to get your motives, not on fear, pride, and comparison, but on passion, on purpose, on eternity, I'm living for one reason, to hear my father say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Some of you are doing a lot of the right things, but for the wrong reasons. God's saying, if you would let me get your heart in alignment, Oh, I'll take you to your dreams and watch this. Then I'll exceed them. And I'll take you to a place that you never thought possible. Father God, we're, we're grateful that you're not a God that pulls us back to keep us from things. But you're a God that pushes us forward into all that you have for us. Holy Spirit, I pray for an impartation in this moment. I pray for a holy discontent with average. I pray that we become allergic to mediocrity. But God, first I pray that you'd heal our hearts. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this first message personal to you. For so many of us, we've started on the journey of discovering our gifts, our talents, our work ethic, our, our vision and dreams, but we forgot step number one. And that's what Paul said, it's in God that I live and move and have my being. If you're in here and you'd be honest enough to say, Pastor, I, I missed step number one. I, I haven't made God the anchor, the source of my life. Maybe church is the source of your life but God isn't. Or maybe you're like me where you followed God, but you just got off track. Your first today step today is to put him back at the center. I'm not gonna have you stand up or come up front. This is a moment that's between you and God, right where you're, you sense the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. But if you say, Pastor, God was never the center or he's drifted off center. Make that adjustment, make that heart adjustment right now. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that your cross, that your blood, that your life was for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I can be healed, so that I can be accepted. Thank you for having a greater future for me than I even had for myself. And today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.